Amen. Well, good morning. It is so good to be again in front of you. I do want to take a moment and offer a quick word, if I could, about some directions you just heard. Uh, if you are a parent, whether you lose your receipt or not, please go pick up your child. Um, some of you, uh, <laughs> some of you uh, heard the announcement there about if you don't have your card, you cannot pick up your kid, and you looked a little too happy about that. And I'm not sure how I should feel about that because I was having the same thought myself, knowing that one of my own kids is back there, and I thought, hmm. That'll make for an interesting afternoon for our child care workers. And then I quickly realized, wait a minute, one of those child care workers is my wife. And so I would like to see her at some point this afternoon. So uh, parents, please go pick up your kids. If not, we will hand them off to an adoptive grandparent who will then take them home and love on them until you are prepared to get them back or they drop them off at your door. So uh, make sure you do that. Anyway, it is good to see you all. It is good to be back together again, gathered in the word of God. Uh, welcome back again to uh, just another Sunday, another day to gloriously praise the Lord uh, for his grace and his mercy and his sovereignty. Now we are still walking through First Timothy. We are still in our series that uh, we have titled Letters from the Pastor. And obviously, as you can tell, we will be closing our time today with communion. Uh, communion is something that I personally believe, and I know Corey feels the same way about it, that should be a regular part of our worship as believers in Christ. So you will probably see us as a church faithfully taking communion more and more together as believers. And so uh, there will be more instructions on communion uh, coming later in the service. But in the meantime, as we move into the second half of 1 Timothy chapter 5, I hope and pray that we begin to really see what uh, will become a continuation really of last week's sermon in talking about our faith family and how it is that we are to love and to care for one another. So if you're paying attention this week um, and last week with 1 Timothy chapter 5, um, hopefully you'll begin to see that the past few weeks together we've been building uh, off of the message one passage, uh, one chapter at a time. And so my hope is that for our time together that we as a church, we as a faith family would be able to demonstrate our esteem for the word and the glory of God by caring for our our elders and allowing our elders to lead and to care for us. Now, before we go any further, I want to define the word elder to make sure we are all on the same page. I remember yesterday asking um, a sweet young man uh, who is sitting right here on the front row his definition of the word elder, and he and I quickly realized that we had two very different uh, definitions. So having said that, let me define the word elder uh, for you today. Um, we are actually going to be talking about men in leadership, and these are the same men that have already been mentioned by Paul back in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and also back in Titus when we walk through our study of Titus together. You see, here's the reality when it comes to caring for our elders. You see, when we talk of caring for our leaders, whether it be in respect or in giving financially to them, many in the church at this point have become jaded by this topic. In fact, many of us, when we walk in, and you probably, uh, there's no surprise where we're going to be in our next passage, which, oh, by the way, um, spoiler alert, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6 next week. Uh, but anyway, you've probably already looked ahead in our passage today in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 25, and you've probably already seen that we're going to be talking again about leadership and again about elders and again about elder care. And you might be at a point where you may be saying and looking at the topic today, oh boy, here we go. Here comes our pastor now asking for more authority. He's going to ask us for more respect. And yes, chances are he's probably going to ask us for more money. Or you may be here and you may be looking at verses 17 through 25 and saying to yourself and beginning to think that you are about to hear a passage on caring for leadership that's going to ultimately lead us as a congregation to be manipulated into some sort of building project that we may not deem as necessary to the church. Well, I want to go ahead and put your uh, mind at ease for a moment. That is not the case for our passage today. You see, 
our thoughts and our opinions on the topic of elders and elder leadership should not keep us from hearing what God has to say about leadership, especially in our passage today in 1 Timothy chapter 5. In fact, in reading these verses together, we should realize that how the church cares for its elders, both financially and otherwise, actually communicates our heart towards authority and towards church leadership. So for many who may read this passage today, it may seem as if Paul is now randomly dealing with a number of issues that were completely disconnected one from the other, especially if you go back and read 1 Timothy chapter 4 in light of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and then again in verse, uh, chapter, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But the truth is this. If you read each of those chapters and you read them in light of what Paul has already said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, we will begin to see the very framework of Paul's letter. We will see that Paul is addressing these issues in order to work to maintain what he calls in verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Now this statement in verse 15, along with the gospel as presented by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, helps us to understand everything that Paul speaks about or writes about when we get into 1 Timothy 4, 5, and 6. So whether we are identifying leadership according to Paul in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, or whether we are training for godliness according to chapter 4, verse 8, or whether we are showing honor and respect to fellow believers according to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, or whether we are talking about supporting widows as we saw last week in verses 3 and following, the theme of the letter for Paul to Timothy in the church at Ephesus remains the same. The gospel of Jesus Christ should be on full display in the church. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you now to join me in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we will begin reading in verse 17. And as you find your place there, if you, are, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, these are Paul's words to Timothy. Paul's words to the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we've already had to worship you through song and to worship you through the reading of your word. Father, we pray now that in these next few moments together as we seek to better understand you and to better understand our call as a church, God, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. So Father, prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth today. Father, as we study your word, 
May it pierce our hearts. May we become more of a reflection of you, recognizing that you and you alone are sovereign God. So, Father, be glorified in these next few moments that we have together. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, here is Paul again in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 25, after showing us that Uh, showing us that the church's care for widows should be set apart from that of the world. We now begin to see from Paul as he reveals to us that the relationship between church leaders and members ought to also look different from the world as well. You see, this relationship between leadership and members and vice versa is to be nothing like what we see in the secular workplaces where relationships are often strained. You see, gossip and suspicion reign supreme amongst corporate entities as employees find themselves serving under leaders who show favoritism and can also be harsh. You see, this type of leadership, when we look to the corporate world, creates a relationship that is often cutthroat and therefore should not be the norm for the local church. Rather, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the the body of believers and the leadership within the church, we are called to look uniquely different. You see, elders should have a genuine concern for the body of believers, and at the same time, the body of believers should love and hold their elders, should love and hold their leaders in high esteem. In fact, this is crucial to the church because God intends for unbelievers to look at the church and to see the glory of God and to see the gospel of Jesus Christ on full display. At the same time in recognizing the glory of God and recognizing the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul is hoping that through the church, unbelievers will begin to see the impact that the people of God have not only on their communities, but also the impact that God has on the believers. Now, I want us to pay careful attention to what it is that we are going to be talking about today. Because I can already tell you in just my emails and phone calls and text messages, I didn't even need to get on social media to find out what was happening in the world this week. In fact, I got a friend of mine called me on Friday and he's like, have you heard the news? And I was like, what? And he said about the presidential election. And I said, I didn't even know there was one. Tell me about it. Well, that's not true. Of course I know. You see, we've all got thoughts and opinions right now. But here's a question we have to ask ourselves as believers. When it comes to our thoughts, when it comes to our words and what it is that we're speaking, when it comes to our social media posts, how do they look different from what God intends for the church. You see, as a church, we ought to be a leading example in how we care for leadership. We ought to be a leading example of how we are to love and shepherd and foster love for our leadership. And yet at the same time, it is our leaders who should be setting the example of what it means to care and to shepherd and to love the flock that God has called them to. You see, when it comes to the church being the ones who are called to set the example, our care as members for our elders should point the world to Jesus Christ. It should be an example where the world looks to the church and says the way the church cares for its leaders and the way the leaders care for the church, that should be the desire for every community in the world. And yet at the same time, when it comes to our elders, and again, I'm speaking of our leaders, 
Our elders are to care for the church because it will be our elders, our leaders, who will be held accountable to God by God, and they will be held accountable by the congregation for their leadership. So as we look at the world today, let us realize that what Paul is speaking of here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is leadership within the church. But let us realize that the church and how we view our leadership is to be the example for the world to follow. So what we're going to see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 through 25, is we're going to now see as a congregation, as a body of believers, how we're going to actually see the ways that we are to care for our elders, or better yet, ways that we are to care for our leadership. The first is this. We should honor our elders with provision. Now, here comes Paul's first instruction written out in verse 17. He says to us, to let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, some of your translations probably don't say the word double honor. It may say the word ample honorarium. Either way, the key phrase in verse 17 is the phrase double honor. In order to understand this passage, we need to understand what it is that Paul is speaking of when he speaks of double honor. Now, the reality is Paul actually never uses this expression in any of his other letters. It's also true that many scholars have disagreed over the meaning of what Paul was trying to communicate here in verse 7. But for us today, I believe that there are actually two ways that we as a church are called to carry out this command. The first, according to Paul, as we can see, is this. Double honor means respect. Now, many times we only think of financial compensation, which is involved in honoring our paid elders, and that is something we're going to get into more in a moment. However, Paul is also speaking of a deep sense of gratitude and appreciation that we as a church should have for our leaders. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 through 13, Paul, in speaking to the church at Thessalonica, says these words, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You see, the calling of elders, the work of shepherding the people of God as a part of the family of God should lead us to care and to respect these men for the great calling that has been placed upon their lives to become elders within the church. Secondly, we see that Paul is referencing double honor to include payment. So yes, there is financial compensation that we are talking about, especially for our paid elders and not our lay elders here. Now there is a difference. You see, paid elders are the ones who are in the office every day at the church. They are the ones who are shepherding each and every day through the office, through visitations, through whatever may be happening in the lives of the believers in the local church. And they're doing so in such a way that lay elders are not able to do. And so it is okay to compensate those elders. Now, many would ask at this point, well, where is pay included in Paul's words? Well, Paul answers that question by looking to verse 18, and you'll see the word for. Now, Paul will now give us the basis on how we are to show double honor. He says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, clearly, Paul is referring to these elders, these, elder, these leaders, being given compensation for their work. Now, to be fair, there were times in Paul's ministry where he himself had to work in order to support his own ministry. However, there were occasions when he 
didn't, and the church supported him the same way the church supported Timothy and the same way the church supported Titus. So knowing that compensation is to be given, it then leads us to ask the question, what did Paul mean when he said double honor? Well, depending on who you listen to, there's a lot of translations on this particular passage. What I can tell you is this. Paul was not attempting to give a precise amount here, nor was he referring to extravagant financial compensation. There are some liberal pastors who don't preach the word of God who have translated this double honor as to meaning every pastor on your staff deserves his own airplane. Where is Tim Hines when you need him? If you don't know who he is, he works in the Air Force. He's a pilot. Paul is not speaking of buying pastors' boats. He's not saying that as a faith family, we should care for our elders by buying them the biggest house in all of Tampa, okay? The goal for the pastor is not to have the home that is directly next door to Tom Brady. Although if that were the case, I would appreciate it because I have some words for him. They would not be pleasant. I am not a Buccaneers fan. You see, when we look to these words and we look to Paul's meaning, notice what Paul is doing here. Paul is actually quoting Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, and Matthew chapter 10, verses 10, when speaking of the laborer deserving his wages. He also quotes the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, when speaking of the ox and the muzzle. You see, Paul, in speaking of the ox, says that even the ox is allowed to eat while treading out the grain. And so the same should be true for our pastors and leaders today. You say, here's the truth for the church. Failing to adequately compensate a pastor reveals how much a body of believers value their pastor versus their own money and possessions. Now again, allow me to take this one step further. It also communicates to an outside world how little we think of the ministry of the word of God. Now go with me here. A church that values the word, a church that holds in high regard the ministry of the word will, as an expression of their commitment to the word, give generously in order to support the ministries of the church and also their pastors and leaders. In other words, let me say this to you. Show me a church budget and I will tell you what a church cares about. Now, before we move on, let's now see that this care for leadership, this care for our pastors, it simply just doesn't fall on the church. Rather, there are conditions here for those who are paid elders within the church. You see, elders must be good leaders, according to Paul. In other words, they must manage their home well. They must manage the church well. We should be able to look back at the qualifications and see that our elders are leading by their love, their care, their sacrifice, and their laying down of their own lives for the glory of God. You see, when Paul talks about elders being good leaders, he's not talking about them managing the church harshly. Rather, he's teaching us that elders are to be good shepherds who love the people well. You see, when it comes to elders, paid elders in particular, they are to imitate the good shepherd, according to John chapter 10, and they must be willing to lay down their lives for the sheep. Now, it's at this point we ask ourselves, well, how do we measure their leadership? Some of us 
need to be careful here because we may want to jump into what the secular world would have us do. And we may ask the question of, is there an evaluation form in order to measure how our elders are doing? The answer to that question is no, there's not. There's no piece of paper that can measure how a pastor is doing because a pastor's work cannot be quantifiably measured by a secular world's standards. Rather, we should look back to the qualifications listed out in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We should look to those qualifications and based on those qualifications, ask the question, are the elders doing what it takes to be faithful ministers of the gospel? So you see, elders, according to Paul, are to be good leaders. Secondly, we're going to see that elders must labor diligently in the word. Now, we see this at the end of verse 17, where Paul says to Timothy, especially those, and speaking of the elders, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. You see, the elder is called to give a significant amount of time to the ministry of the Word of God. So we have to ask ourselves as members, when thinking of our elders, when praying for them, when when holding them accountable, do we, do we have to ask the question, do they work hard at preaching? Do they work hard at teaching? Do they work hard at shepherding the people of God according to the word of God? Now notice this for Paul. The biggest requirement of an elder worthy of double honor is that he cares for the church through the teaching of the word. Now hopefully... As we think of our pastors, as we think of our elders, this will help us begin to rethink the calling of a pastor and the calling of an elder. So do we desire to care for our elders as a church? Do we desire to honor these men and to enable them to minister to us according to the word of God? How are we freeing up our pastors in order to disciple and shepherd and teach and preach the word of God? Because according to Paul, in this passage, that is the primary call of the elder. This then leads to Paul's second way of caring for elders. As a faith family, We are called to protect elders from false accusations. Now here again is Paul's second instruction found in verse 19. He says to the church at Ephesus and to Timothy, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now this should be a big deal for the church because the reality is in the modern church in the United States, this is something that is lacking within the church. Too oftentimes we see pastors and elders, our leaders, being accused of things that are not true and people buy into the lie and ultimately leave the church or have that particular pastor removed based on false accusations. So here is Paul's word. As a church, we should not be surprised when elders are accused. It is going to happen. Now you would think at this point that our spiritual leaders would see fewer accusations, but the reality is pastors often find themselves in sticky situations with hurt people who are filled with emotions. And it's in those moments that pastors have to remain grounded on the truth from the word of God as opposed to saying or doing what may feel good for that person in that particular moment. Thus, here is what can happen. People may not like what their elders have to say in that moment as the elder proclaims the word of God. So the people get upset And then this opens the pastors up to false accusations. Now, in speaking of this particular passage, I love what John Calvin has to say about it. He says, for none are more liable to slanders and calumnies than godly teachers. 
Although they performed their duty correctly so as not to commit any error whatever, they never escape a thousand censures. You see, as believers in Christ, we need to realize that our leaders, our elders are constantly under attack and rarely does it come from outside the church. Rarely do these attacks come from the government. In fact, more often than not, a lot of the noise that pastor deals with come from within the church themselves. Let me give you an example. And again, I'm not saying this for any accolade whatsoever. I don't know if you realize this or not, but October was Pastor's Appreciation Month. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm a part of a cohort of several pastors in this area. And one of the things that scared me as a pastor was this. In a month that has been set aside by the church to appreciate pastors, we saw more pastors resigning from their post and from their congregations. I had a chance as, uh, as a part of a committee that I sit on with our association, I had an opportunity to sit with one of these pastors and to, to hear from him and to hear his reason of why he left. Now, this was a pastor who had been leading his church faithfully for 15 years. I had listened to several of his sermons. This man was preaching the word of God. And so in our meeting, I asked him a question. And my question was simple. Why are you leaving? And this is what he said to me. He said, over the past 15 years, even over this past month, this month that we call Pastor Appreciation Month, he said, I can count on one hand the amount of prayers that were lifted up for me as their leader. I can count on one hand the amount of encouraging notes that I received, the, the number of the accolades and the attaboys and the pastors stick with it. This season is tough, but we stand with you. I can count on one hand how many times I received those things, and yet I can't even begin to count the amount of complaints that I heard. I had to ask him, well, what were some of the complaints? They ranged from everything. People complaining about communion and how they were doing it. People complaining about the wall color in an education building. I was like, I feel you, brother. People complaining over the fact that they had just changed the carpet. People complaining over COVID and why wouldn't the pastor do it? Listen, he heard this. Why aren't you doing more to cure people of COVID? What did they want him to do? And so he left his church. I want to go ahead and tell you, and this is alarming. We are roughly averaging 12 pastors a month this year resigning from their pastorate. As a Southern Baptist convention in the state of Florida. We are currently averaging eight to 10 churches a month closing their doors. Now, I didn't believe that was true, but then this is what happened to me this week. I received an email from a real estate agent asking if I was interested in eight properties that are within five miles of our church. They were all churches who had just closed their doors. You see, what does that tell us? I saw somebody post the question the other day on social media. They said, I don't understand why so many pastors are leaving the church. I have an answer for you. It's an indictment on the church. It's an indictment on our inability to protect our leaders. An indictment on our ability to follow our leaders. It's an indictment on our willingness to look at these men of God and say to them, yes, we believe that you are God's called man to lead our church. And then within one month's time, we say, nope, don't like you. Don't believe in what God said. We need you to get out. How can these men be God's called men for a church, something that churches prayed over and vetted over, and then in a month's time, two months' time, 15 years' time, say, nope, sorry, we don't believe that God called you? When did we all of a sudden make ourselves 
an idol where now we sit on the throne. Now coming back to Paul's words here, Paul warns us that we should be cautious when bringing accusations against our leaders and against our elders. In fact, verse 19 again tells us that if there are not two or three witnesses to the accusation, then we should dismiss the charges because they don't meet the standard according to the word of God. So as a church, as a faith family, we should dismiss false accusations that would undermine the trust the congregation has in our elders. You see, these accusations, these, well, did you hear? And this is what I mean. People will say to you, well, did you hear this about pastor such and such? Or did you know that pastor such and such was going to do this? That's where these false accusations start. When we begin to listen to these accusations, they begin to create a spirit of disunity, which then leads the individual believer into sin. So when it comes to an accusation that may be gossip, I want to caution you here because the one who is speaking it is guilty of sin. At the same time, the one who's receiving it is also now guilty of sin. So when people come to us with our accusations, we need to ask them, are you sure you want to say that? Because if it's true, then we need to together take it before the elders. You see, the Bible does not allow for anonymity in our accusation. We have to be willing to confront accusation and sin directly head on. As believers in the gospel, we have to take a stand against gossip. So as a church and caring for our elders, we need to do what we can to protect the reputation of those who are called to preach to protect the reputation of those who are called to teach in our church because the church, according to Paul, again in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, is to be a pillar and foundation of the truth. So for us today, by God's grace, let's be eager to eliminate any unfounded accusations. Let us put an end to unhelpful and ungodly criticisms that bring down the reputation of our elders who labor in the ministry of the word. In, order, in other words, according to Paul here, we are to honor our elders and then we are to protect our elders as well. This then leads to Paul's third way we are to care for our elders and leaders. He says that we are to rebuke unrepentant elders. Now, please hear me on this, okay? Do not mishear what I just said as saying to you that if you have a complaint against our leadership, don't bring it to us. We don't want to hear it. That's not what I said. Rather, if we have a complaint or a concern or an accusation... Let's bring them with witnesses because as we're going to get into here in Paul's third instruction, we're going to now see that when there are two or three witnesses who come forward, notice what Paul tells us in verse 20 and 21. And speaking of the elders, he says, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Now this may sound harsh to many of us, but don't miss Paul's point here. You see, by rebuking elders publicly who are in unrepentant sin, by rebuking elders who you have walked through the Matthew 18 model, what will then happen is when they are brought before the congregation publicly to be rebuked, it will cause other elders and the congregation to now have a healthy fear of the consequences of sin. Now again, pay attention to this. Paul is not saying to us this morning that we need to bring every individual sin before the church for public rebuke. Yes, 
all sin is serious, but not every sin is worthy of public rebuke. Rather, if there is unrepentant sin that would cause the elder to no longer be able to serve as an example to the flock and is not up to the qualifying standard of the elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3, then that elder should be publicly rebuked and stepped down from his office. In other words, those who have a a pattern of continued sin those who are showing a pattern of unrepentance from their sin, those are the men who should be publicly rebuked in the same way that Paul has already rebuked the false teachers in 1 Timothy. Now, some may ask at this point, well, why do we not rebuke these brothers? Why do we not rebuke these leaders quietly? Well, Paul gives us two reasons as to why we rebuke them publicly. First, he says that we rebuke them as a witness to the truth. Now, if you look back at verse 21, Paul is clearly calling for a rebuke of the false teachers in Ephesus. Now, chances are we know that these false teachers were also elders within the church. And at one point in time, it is possible that Timothy had a close relationship with these men. So Paul calls Timothy to hold to the truth of God and to rebuke these brothers without showing favoritism to them. And so the same should be true of us today. If we are going to hold ourselves to any standard, it shouldn't be a standard set by the Democratic Party. If we are going to hold ourselves to any standard, it shouldn't be a standard that is set by the Republican Party. Rather, if we are going to hold ourselves to a standard, let that standard be the Word of God. And so let us use the Word of God to encourage, to edify, to correct, and when necessary, to rebuke. Paul then teaches us that we are to rebuke publicly as a warning to others. Now notice this, the Bible actually mandates for us to be obedient to God according to his word. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, we are motivated to obedience by God's grace and by a healthy fear of who God is. So when we see the public rebuke of an elder, it should lead each of us to say, Lord, may it never be so with me because I don't want that. It doesn't mean that we're better. It means that we should review our own lives. You see, some of our liberal brothers and sisters at this point would argue that here God is motivating us by fear. But God is not motivating us by fear. He's actually, through the public rebuke of elders, he's motivating us by his grace. You see, God, by his grace, warns elders, particularly through Paul with these false teachers, that their day of reckoning is coming. Let me put that plainly. A day is coming where even the false teachers of this world will stand in judgment before God. And as we've already read in James, we should be careful, we who teach, because we who teach will be held to a greater accountability. You see, when it comes for us today as believers in Christ, my prayer is that we would live in a healthy fear of who God is, being obedient by his grace and then rebuking our elders when they are out of line and out of sync with the word of God. This now leads to Paul's fourth point on how we are to care for elders. He says this to the church. He says to appoint elders with care. Here is Paul's final instruction for Timothy and for the church at Ephesus. 
We see it in verses 22 through 25. In verse 22, he says that we are to lay hands over our elders in order to set them apart and at the same time to serve as a reminder of the accountability that they now have to God and to the church for their sins. At the same time, we looked at verse 23, and you get to verse 23, and all of a sudden you see this, what feels and seems like this random parenthetical statement, almost as if Paul is literally taking a break from his writing and saying, oh, by the way, don't forget this, and, um, and we see this random teaching that Paul has, whereas the reality, what we have here is a follow-up with verse 2, where Paul is telling Timothy to keep yourself pure. Now, what we possibly know of Timothy is that Timothy, in his own lifestyle, had given himself over to a severe form of self-discipline that led to total abstinence. And so Paul, for the sake of Timothy's health, shares with him to take some wine as medicine. You know, we see this when Paul refers to Timothy and says to Timothy, he speaks of Timothy's stomach and his frequent ailments. Notice what Paul is saying. He's not speaking of excess here when it comes to drinking wine. Rather, he speaks of it in moderation for his health. Paul then moves from there into verse 24, and it brings us back to verse 22 and the need for purity. Paul here cautions us in verse 24 not to recognize someone too quickly as an elder because a person's sins or their secret sins may not have been revealed or their plans and selfish plans and motivations may not be apparent upon first glance. So as a church in calling elders, we need to take the time to pray over these men. We need to take the time to interview and to vet these particular men and then take the time, care, and due diligence necessary to make sure that these men are qualified to the best of our knowledge. So for us as a church, by God's grace, that time is coming soon. You see, here's what I mean. We are currently in the process of vetting men as elders. Men who are praying, being prayed for, being trained, being vetted, placing their entire lives on a table, and they're doing it for the glory of God and for the good of the church. And so I'm gonna ask you at this time to pray for these men because you see, this careful selection of elders should remind us of the high privilege that comes with the high call of being an elder within the church. It also allows us to continue to protect the church that God has entrusted to us. So for us today, when calling elders, we need to make sure that we are doing everything we can in order to be faithful to the word, prayerfully appointing godly men for the purpose of shepherding and caring for the church. Now again, some of you may look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 25 today and see this passage and these steps as trivial and not necessary, and it ultimately may lead you to apathy for church leadership. In fact, many of you might have tuned me out 20 to 30 minutes ago at this point. However, I want to remind you this morning that as a faith family, as we've already shared, this is the direction that we are moving in at Southside Baptist Church. We are moving in this direction for the glory of God within the local church. You see, the word calls us to two offices in the church, that of the deacon and that of the elder. And so in order to better teach and preach and shepherd and care for our people, we see the biblical mandate for elders to lead our church. And that's why there are men today who are being vetted within our church to become elders. And you're going to meet them and hear more about them and know them by name and pray for them later once they've gone through the madness that we are currently putting them on as we're training them. You see, we want these men to be prepared to lead. We want them to be prepared to lead God's church because here's the reality about the church. You see, Jesus Christ 
bought the church by his own blood. Jesus has given us the church as his precious gift. Jesus has shown us that we are to govern ourselves according to the word. And now as a church, we must be faithful to the call by his grace and for his glory. You see, God's intention for the church is to appoint certain men as elders, and since the word of God calls for it, we are called to obey the call. God's intent for the church was not to exploit the sheep, rather for the sheep to be cared for and loved and cherished by their shepherds. You see, as elders... Elders are men who are called to shepherd the flock. They are called to care for the flock, to give and sacrifice for the flock, and to make sure that the word of God is faithfully taught. You see, if we don't begin to pay attention to God's design for the church, then we are flirting dangerously close with beginning to undermine the very word of God and his efforts to advance the gospel. So let us be a church today that is faithful to the gospel. Let us be faithful to the word of God. And may we be a people who care for our elders and graciously, lovingly follow their lead for the sake of the gospel. Again, I want to remind you, all of us need the gospel. All of us need the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ and only by the grace of God can elders and the church be cared for properly according to God's holy word. So let's care for one another. Let's care for our elders and let us be the ones who set the example for the world to follow. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day. We thank you for this time. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that as we move into the days ahead, days that are now beginning to clear up, days where we're beginning to see a a different day in our government, a different way in how we handle pandemics. God, I pray that through all things and in all things that we would seek to glorify you. Father, you have not called the church to follow the world. Rather, you've called the world to follow the church. And so, God, I pray that as your people that we would be faithful to your word. As your people, I pray that we would seek to glorify you, to make much of your name. Father, help us to set the example for how we are to care for our leaders and help our leaders within the church, our elders, set the example for how they are to lead and shepherd the people. And may it all be done according to your word for your glory. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the example that you've set before us. And God, now we ask that as we prepare to come to the table, Father, may our hearts be found pure. May we receive communion today, knowing the price that you paid for us, knowing the grace that can be found in you, knowing that you are the victory upon which we now stand. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. Now prepare our hearts as we prepare for communion. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.